Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. His worth, his wit, his loving smile were with me but a little while. He came, he went, yet though that voice is hushed that made the heart rejoice. And though the grave is dark and chill, his memory is fragrant still. He stands on the eternal hill. Here pause, kind soul, whoever you be, and weep for him and pray for me. The little girl had awoken with a start. It would have been completely dark in her room were it not for the dim, checkered glow seeping in around her curtain from the streetlight outside. The air felt colder than usual, and she began to shiver. There was a noise coming from the far end of the room. A scratching. Not quick and small scratches like those of a mouse, but long slow, sustained scratches like that of a fingernail. She tried to ignore it, tried to go back to sleep, but the scratching continued. She could hear her own heartbeat banging in her ears and with each scratch it grew louder and louder until she could no longer ignore it. She lifted her head slightly and listened. It was coming from inside her wardrobe. She buried her head under the covers, trying to block out the dreadful sound, but the scratching continued. Then, she heard a voice. Everything in her psyche told her to scream, but she couldn't. All she could do was as the voice instructed. Listen. She slowly crept out of her bed, across the room, and to her wardrobe. The scratching was faster now, more urgent. With a deep breath, she opened its doors. Upon seeing what was inside, she stumbled back in shock. Her mouth was wide open, but no noise came out. Standing in front of her, Illuminated by a thin shaft of streetlight was the torso of an elderly man. His face was pale, gaunt, sombre, and below his chest 
His body faded into translucence. His eyes wept thick, oozing blood. The little girl was certain that what she was looking at was in fact not a man at all, but a ghost. Hello, my name is Charles. Thirty years later, Denise Diamond, the celebrity psychic medium, was nearly ready to take to the stage. Her pre-show ritual was an odd one, which the theatre manager Stephen hadn't seen before. Apparently, she would be visiting every dressing room and backstage area of the theatre, lighting a candle and blessing each room individually. Once the candles had been lit and the room blessed, they would all be locked shut. Entry would then be forbidden to all but Denise until after the show had finished. When she would return to each room unlocking them, blowing all the candles out. Stephen had been told it was to give her spirit guides safe spaces in which to relax during the show, away from the erratic auras of the living. In order to maximise their performance energy, they each required their own space, or they would refuse to do the show. Stephen had dealt with many odd dressing room requests in the past. He was used to catering to showbiz whims, but having lit candles in unsupervised locked rooms caused him a good deal of anxiety, and it was breaking all manner of fire safety regulations. However, Denise's manager, Larry Buck, was insistent. It's a deal-breaker, Larry had said aggressively. He wasn't used to being told no. If Denise and her spirit guides can't be allowed to prepare themselves in the way they need, they can't and won't perform. It's as simple as that, Ray. Uh, it's Stephen. Sure, Stephen, whatever. Am I making myself crystal fucking clear? No, no, you are, absolutely. It's just... Do the doors need to be locked? I mean, uh, if they're spirits, it might not matter. They could just walk through the walls anyway. Well, I'm not an expert on the subject, mate, and neither are you. Denise is the talent, and it's her request. Yes, I see that. But, well, do the candles need to be alight for the whole show? Okay, sugar tits. What part of what I'm saying don't you fucking understand? There's no need to use that language. Look, Samuel. Stephen. Stephen, whatever. How many tickets have you sold for tonight? We're nearly at full capacity. You're nearly at full capacity. Nearly sold out. Soon that theatre will be nearly completely full with people in grief, hoping, praying, that by some strike of luck, their dead loved one will pop into my Denise's head so they can get the message that they so desire. For some of those upset fucks, it literally is the only thing they are living for. Now, are you telling me you're willing... To go out there in front of all those bereaving, tragic people and say, Sorry, you bunch of upset facts. Yet a fire safety regulation is making my arse twitch. So I've thrown Denise out. No message of loved ones on the other side tonight, folks. Show's over. Go home. Because there will be hell to pay, Stanley. Hell to fucking pay. I, I do understand what you're saying. That's not to mention the money. You know what I heard? Either after your soap stars do Shakespeare season or I'm a celebrity get me Shakespeare here or whatever shite it was called, this theatre was practically bankrupt. That's an awful lot of refunds to process. And then, of course, there's Denise's cancellation fee. Okay, fine. She can light all the candles. And have sole access to all the rooms for the duration? Yes. That's more like it, Stephen. So with just a couple of minutes to go before the start of the show, Denise was locking the final dressing room. Good luck, babe. Larry kissed her cheek and gave her a wink. She grinned back at him. 
Don't need luck, do I, babes? Oh, yeah, no, of course not. It's just a special gift you were born with. How could I forget? It's not my only hidden talent either, is it? Certainly not. On your list of talents, I'll put it third. Larry grabbed Denise with both of his hands and leaned in for a kiss. His tongue slid into Denise's mouth and the dressing room key slipped into his hand. Oh, babe. He let go. Your husband here tonight? Yeah. He's selling Denise t-shirts and posters in the foyer. Well, do send him my love. Larry grabbed Denise's ass greedily. Oi, <laughs> cheeky chops. See you after the show, beautiful. Do Larry proud. Good evening, Internet. My name's Christopher Schwartz, and I am a vigilante for the truth. Christopher Schwartz saw himself as a vigilante for the truth. Ever since he was a child, he found the subject of debunking paranormal activity incredibly fascinating. Ginger hair, thick-rimmed glasses and poor posture regrettably meant that the bullying he suffered at school was atrocious. But his investigations into the so-called other side had been an escape from all that. He would obsess over paranormal phenomena, and although some of his obsessions, like Pokemon and chess, had died down, this particular one was still a huge part of his life. He dedicated any free possible moment to explaining away all things paranormal. He had a YouTube channel, Paranormal Lies and the Hunt for the Truth, with me, Christopher. And on this, he had covered a whole host of subjects. The Loch Ness Monster, Ghost Sightings, Witches, The Owlman of Cornwall, and of course, Psychic Mediums. Psychics had become something of a speciality for Christopher. He felt, of all the possible hoaxes, psychics were the cruelest manipulating people's emotions in order to steal their money. And of all the psychic mediums he'd inspected, he hated Denise Diamond the most. There was a so-called popular girl, just like Denise in his year at school, who had, on one occasion, pulled down his trousers in PE and made everyone laugh. But that wasn't the reason for his scorn. He hated Denise's way of pretending to help people as though she was some kind of messiah and denying the fact that she was just a money-grabbing charlatan. The way she just expected reverence and worship when what she really deserved was cold, hard justice. He hated how successful she'd become, how many celebrities supported her and how much money she had made. And finally, although he'd never cared to admit this on his YouTube channel, he hated how consistent she was at fooling everyone. Most other famous mediums seemed to have at least one televised moment that exposed them as frauds, but Denise didn't have this. And just like the boys had fallen for the popular girl in his year at school, the whole country seemed to have lapped up her lies and fallen for her cheap tricks and sickly perfume. That was until now. For Christopher Schwartz had a plan. Although his anorak made a slight rustling, his footsteps made no sound at all as he slipped, unnoticed, inside the theatre. In the foyer, Keith let out a sigh. The merchandise had sold well tonight, but he couldn't suppress this overwhelming feeling of guilt every time he took people's money in exchange for cheaply made Denise Diamond tat, scrawled with signatures he had forged earlier that day in the car park. These people had lost their nearest and dearest. 
Were they really expecting to find answers and peace of mind from his wife? He certainly didn't get that from her. When they first started dating, he made it no secret that he thought the psychic stuff was nonsense. But her career had really taken off since then. He had been laid off from his work at a car factory and Denise's nonsense was now paying all the bills. Keith was reduced to selling her merchandise and making cups of tea for a VIP one-on-one clients. This of course didn't bother him. He was grateful for her supporting them, it's just that she treated him so differently now. He was, it seemed, a nuisance to her in every way, constantly disappointing her or getting on her nerves. A woman approached the merchandise stand who was wearing an outfit which was entirely purple, including shoes and hat. Hello! How much are your Denise Mouse mats? They're, they're a tenner each, darling, Keith said, snapping out of his daydreaming haze. I'll take six. Here, are you Denise's husband? You got me. Oh, you're a very lucky man. I hope you know that. Keith gritted his teeth. Oh, I do. Denise is a real diamond. <laughs> oh, very good, yeah. Oh, it's nice to laugh, isn't it? Yeah, you're lucky you are to have Denise. Oh, my Norman was wonderful. My husband, he died last year. He liked a good laugh, he did. I'm sorry to hear that, darling. These things happen. Part of life, isn't it? Not a day goes by I don't think about him or miss him. But, you know, life goes on. Besides, I'm hoping to speak to him tonight. How'd you mean? You're Denise, silly. (laughs) I've got a strong feeling about tonight. This will be my eighth time at the show. Uh, He he hasn't come through so far, but I've got a really strong feeling about tonight. I know he wants to talk to me. I know he does. Keith smiled. It was a well-rehearsed smile, which he had been plastering on his face for many years. He hoped it seemed genuine. He hoped it didn't show any sign of the pity, shame and loneliness that he felt nearly every waking moment. A bell rang through the foyer. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Here are your mouse mats, darling. Enjoy the show. Thank you. I'm Pam. Will you tell Denise I'm her biggest fan? I will. Don't you worry. The audience squeezed through the double doors into the ornate Victorian auditorium, like a herd of cows being led to an abattoir. Keith sorted through his cash float, carefully locked it up, and went to sit at the back of the theatre. He felt that the pre-show music playlist, which included songs from the movie Ghost, Ghost Town by the Specials and the Ghostbusters theme, was in bad taste. However, he didn't have the heart, or more accurately, the courage to tell Denise. As the last few people were finding their seats, the lights began to fade down. She's one of Britain's greatest national treasures. She's one of our most cherished psychic mediums. Countless celebrities make contact with past loved ones, including singing sensation Dido, rock and roller Ryan May, Mel, and Sue, and she helped Jeremy Paxman find his spirit animal. But more than this, she's helped thousands and thousands of ordinary, normal people receive messages of hope and love from the other side. She has helped people, and she has touched people. People. Just like you. She really is the people's psychic. Please put your hands together for the one, the only, the greatest, the best. It's the jewel in the crown. 
ist der nächste dran. Denise entered the stage to rapturous applause. There were whoops and cheers. People stood up. Shouts of We love you, Denise could be heard all around the theatre. Denise looked genuinely shocked and humbled at the jubilance of the crowd. However, Keith knew that she was a very fine actor, and the humbled and caring celebrity was one of her greatest roles. After quite some time, the audience had settled, waiting with bated breath for Denise to speak. Thank you so much, everyone. I love you all. Each and every one you, of you. We love you, Denise. Seriously, I love you so much. You changed mom with mama's life. Oh, stop it. Oh, you guys, you'll make me blush. Here, Denise paused, intensifying the atmosphere in the room. When I was a young girl, I saw my first ghost. I was about seven years old. His name was Charles, and I found him in my wardrobe. He was not a happy spirit. He was... He passed very violently. He led a troubled life. He was vengeful, he tormented me. Now I'm telling you this story because I came to realize something about Charles. He tormented me because he needed me. I was his gateway to the physical world. He desperately needed help. And I was the one who could help him because I had a special gift. And from then on, my relationship with Charles changed. He became like a father to me, which I was very grateful for, because around that time, I tragically lost my own father. And from then on, I vowed to use my special gift to help people receive messages of love from the other side. And I really hope I can do just that for lots of you wonderful people here tonight. So I think we should get started, don't you? Good. Now let's go, angels. Oh, oh. Oh, I've got something in my head. Just now. Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. It's a woman. It's a woman. She's quite... She's bubbly. She's, she's a larger woman. She's saying... She's saying, she's saying, cut me another slice of cake, dear. I didn't touch the sides, that one. That's what she's saying. Linda, Linda. No, it could be Lisa. No, no, it might be Elle. It could be Karen. Oh, oh, I see a hand. I see a hand. Get them a mic. Hello, dear. What does the name Karen mean to you? Me, Mum. I'm sorry. I'll... Oh, no. Don't cry, love, my little darling. Don't cry. Bless your heart. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's your mum I'm talking to now, dear. Did you like a little bit of cake, your mum, Barbara? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was really fat, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, she's going, oh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry, I am. Who's Gary? Oh, I don't know. I'm getting Gary. I don't know Gary. Gary, Gary, your mum's saying, think, Barbara, Gary, Gary, that's what your mum's saying. Oh, I think I know what it is. Gary Baldy Biscuits. Those were her favourites. Oh, of course they were. 
That's what she's saying. She's saying, oh, I love Garibaldi biscuits. <laughs> They're yummy, they are. I love Garibaldi biscuits as much as I love you, Barbara, darling. Your mum loves you, Barbara. Give her a round of applause. someone else now mm, yeah oh I'm getting a Colin Colin oh that gentleman there get him a mic yes uh, uh, me uh, Colin's my dad what's your name Paul Paul yes it's your dad I'm speaking to now Paul I'm sensing he died recently nah he's still alive oh I only commune spiritually with the dead, darling. Oh. Uh, oh, right, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Give him an applause. <laughs> now, I think we should have a little look at some photos. Photo time, photo time, photo time with Denise. We've got your photos. Photo time, photo time, photo time with Denise. We've got your photos. These are photos of some of your loved ones who have passed to the other side. You've sent them in prior to the show, and I'd like to make it clear now that I have never seen any of these photos before this moment now. Okay, I'm just going to pick up this top one. Whose photo is this? Oh, I can see hands. Hello, darling. Now, I'm getting a John, or a Jonathan. Was that his name, darling? Um, no. Was he your granddad, darling? N no. Who was he then? Friend of the family? Um, no. Is he a Richard? That's my grandmother. Oh. Oh, sorry, darling. I'm not getting anything through from your grandma because a spirit is interfering who is desperate to communicate. Have I got a Michelle? Michelle Stevens? Yes! Yes, that's me! Do you live at 66 Woodmill Road? Yeah! Wow! That's amazing! I've got someone coming through for you, darling. They've come through very strongly. Is it Bernard? Yeah! That's my dad! Oh my God! He says he misses you, but not to worry. He's with the twins. Oh, oh my God! What does he mean, darling? I had a miscarriage, and they were twins. Oh, bless your heart. They're with your father now, Michelle, and he loves you very much. Oh, and he says thank you. Thank you for being brave. You can sit down, sweetheart. Christopher smelt a rat. He had managed to find his way backstage without raising suspicion, and now he was watching Denise's performance from the shadows. The first few minutes of her show had been unimpressive, to say the least. More mistakes than anything else. But then, suddenly, she had displayed pinpoint accuracy with this Michelle, even providing her exact address. And Christopher didn't buy it. He was convinced someone somewhere was backstage using a radio to feed her audience information into some kind of earpiece. 
and he was determined to find them. Meanwhile, backstage in a locked dressing room, Larry Buck was doing just that. <coughs> Hello, darling, can you hear me? When booking their ticket to the show, the audience were given the option to fill in a form. To go onto Denise's mailing list, they had to provide their home address, and if they wanted to, they could share any information about their dead relatives or friends. Then, they seemed shocked and surprised when the information was fed straight back to them. It was incredible. But he supposed, some people will believe whatever they choose to. Larry chuckled to himself. Right, Denise. How about this little chicken? Pam Evans lives at 103 Campbell Street. Her husband, Norman, died last year. No, that's Campbell Street, not Camel. Good, good. Enjoy, sweet cheeks. Denise was now in full swing. Okay, 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 okay. Pam. Pam Evans. Camel Street. Oh, oh, I mean Campbell. Somewhere nearby, Christopher heard a voice. He was sure of it. As silently as he could, he made his way down a corridor of dressing rooms. At the third door down, he stopped. A floorboard creaked and he held his breath. Frozen on the spot, he listened as hard as he could. And through the door of dressing room three, he heard a man's voice. He couldn't make out any words, but there was definitely someone in that room. A room that was allegedly some kind of green room for ghosts. A room that allegedly only Denise was allowed into until after the show. A room that should be empty. This was the moment Christopher had been waiting for. Out of his pocket, he fished a small camera and began recording. He took one last breath, enjoying the moment, and then he kicked the door. It swung open and Christopher stepped in. The force of the kick made the door bang into the wall, which snapped off the coat hook. Then he closed the door behind him. Larry looked up from his audience notes. Who the fuck are you? I'm Christopher Schwartz, vigilante for the truth. And this, viewers, is Larry Buck, manager of Denise Diamond, backstage with a radio you can clearly see here. All right, show's over. Turn off your camera. Uh, feeding Denise information about the audience you can clearly see there. She claims these backstage rooms are locked so they can be blessed with a candle. <laughs> All right, mate. All right, mate. Which she has followed through with. You can see the lit candle just here. But this is a facade to hide the truth. Denise Diamond is a fraud. She has no psychic ability whatsoever. Larry here. Uh, smile for the camera, Larry. Look at all his papers here. Larry is telling her all she needs to know about the audience of the show before she pretends to channel it. Turn that thing off right fucking now. Oh, I think Larry's pissed off. Better go, viewers. I'm Christopher Schwartz. Thanks for watching. Over and out. Larry gave Christopher a long, hard stare. On stage, Denise's earpiece crackled and buzzed as she heard Larry shouting at someone else in the room. Sorry, everyone. Just, um, getting something that's, um... Oh, I need to check the aura of this, uh... spirit. That should buy her a bit of time, she thought. Keith was frowning. Something was definitely going wrong. Mm. 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 
Denise had just been going on about auras which she'd never done before, and now she was pacing to and fro and appeared to be grunting. The audience were getting restless. This performance was becoming something of a car crash, and Keith, although he tried not to, was really enjoying himself. Larry stood up. Right, I don't know how the fuck you got back here, or what it is you're hoping to achieve with that pathetic little video of yours, but you're here now, and I am a reasonable man of business. So, how much to make all this go away? Go away? Cash, you. Name your price. Then give me that camera, and we can all forget this happened. I don't want to forget any of this happened. It's the greatest day of my life. Okay. Listen to me, you snivelling little worm. There is no chance in hell you are going back through that door with your shitty little Fisher-Price camera. That footage will never be shown to another living soul. That's not happening. Simple fucking fact. So you've got two options. The easy way or the hard way. In the easy way, you give me that camera and in return, I'll give you a lovely check for 100 smackers. You could go shopping. Hmm? Get yourself some new shoes. Maybe there's a sale on at Specsavers. Or you could take the hard way. Where the only thing you'll get is a smashed up camera and a smashed up face. So what's it gonna be? Are you threatening me? No, I'm not threatening you, you specky tit. I'm giving you two options. Well, neither. The people deserve the truth, and I'm going to give it to them. Goodbye. Right, hold it. Right, you specky little tit. Let go of me. No, no. Let go of me. You come in, I'm doing it, camera now. There was a pause. All at once, Christopher tried freeing his arm from Larry's grip as Larry tried grabbing the camera in Christopher's other hand. Christopher was fighting hard now. This moment reminded him so much of the beatings at school and he was determined not to let this bully win. He wriggled and pulled against Larry with all the force he had. All the while, from her position at the corner of the stage, Denise listened on, humming like a Buddhist monk with an energy drink. Larry had Christopher with both hands now, and Christopher was barely able to keep hold of the camera. They were both sweating and breathing hard. Christopher felt a surge of anger rise up in him, anger that had been bottled up for decades. It gave him a surge of energy. He dragged hard against Larry, stretching every muscle, every fibre in his body. Larry's now sweaty hands slipped and he lost his grip. The sudden release sent Christopher flying across the room. The coat hook which Christopher had accidentally snapped off in his effort kicking the door in was now a sharp metal point. This was extremely unfortunate for Christopher as he plunged backwards away from Larry's fists. When Christopher had come to a stop, the two of them were completely still, staring at one another. Larry had panic in his eyes as he looked at Christopher, whose mouth was agape, fighting for breath. He was breathing harder now, but his breaths had been replaced with gurgles. He was flailing his arms like fish fins. The camera by this point was down at his feet, and blood dripped onto the lens. Larry had panic in his eyes as he looked at Christopher, whose mouth was agape, fighting for breath. Blood began pouring down his neck in rhythmic spurts. Then it began to pour out of his mouth. He was breathing harder now, but his breaths had been replaced with gurgles. He was flailing his arms like fish fins. The camera by this point was down at his feet, 
The blood dripped onto the lens. Christopher was trapped, his body pinned to the door by the coat hook like a tack on a corkboard. Like a fly in a spider's web. Like a cow on a meat hook. His gurgles became raspy and laboured. Blood burbled in his mouth. His eyes were wider than saucers, which his glasses magnified. So to Larry they looked enormous, like two full moons. Blood gushed. The carpet was saturated and sodden. His legs and arms twitched. He let out a final gasp and his body slumped. The flame from the candle on the table flickered. Larry bent over double, covering his face with his hands. For some time he stayed there, thinking. He began to cry. Then he did the only thing he could think to do. He went over to his radio. Denise? He said, wiping the tears from his eyes. I've killed someone. The auditorium was beginning to get restless, and Denise was pacing back and forth across the stage when she heard Larry's voice. She stared at the hundreds of people watching her. Her heart felt like it was falling out of her chest. Suddenly, she had a moment of clarity. She would announce that she was feeling unwell and stop the show right away. But as she opened her mouth to speak, a voice came into her head. A real voice. This one wasn't through the earpiece. The spotlight felt hotter than before. Denise trembled. She retched slightly. She could no longer move. Like Christopher hanging on the door, she was paralysed. There was a growing unease in the audience, which was stifled by people who were certain that this was part of the show, telling others to be quiet. Hello, Charles. Denise said into the air. As far as her adoring fans were concerned, the show was back on track. Do you need my help, Denise? No. No. Oh, but I think you do. Please. No. No. Not again. Yes. Just like old times. I'm hungry for it. Denise closed her eyes. Her body collapsed onto the ground. She stared blankly up at the fly tower above the stage. At the same moment, Larry Buck was focusing himself. He stood up, looking at the corpse in front of him and planning what he was going to say to the police. It was merely a misunderstanding that escalated. And as he went through this in his mind, he started to feel a little better. But what he didn't notice was the candle on the table. 
The flame was flickering erratically, morphing and changing, casting shadows on the wall. And then it began to move of its own accord. It glided all the way across the surface, flame still dancing. At the very edge of the table it paused, before dropping onto the ground with a thud. Larry missed all this, but as he turned he saw to his horror that the curtain was on fire. Stephen, the theatre manager, was right to be concerned about fire safety. It turned out that the theatre's soft furnishings were extremely flammable. Larry pushed Christopher's body aside and tried the door. It was jammed, and with all his force he couldn't open it. Please, somebody help me! Very quickly the room became unbearably hot. Larry was up against the wall, helplessly staring at the fire which edged ever closer to him. He tried to thrash it out with his jacket, but smoke was filling his lungs and his chest burned as he coughed and spluttered. He tried moving towards the door to break it down when the leg of his cheap polyester suit caught fire. The pain was excruciating. Pain which was inconceivable. The flames spread all over his suit and before long his entire body was on fire. He screamed and screamed and screamed and he was roasted alive. Finally, the pain prevented him from screaming. He fell to the ground next to Christopher's feet and the two of them were burnt to dust. The alarm was triggered and sprinklers rained down on the fire, but it was too little too late. If only for a moment. Charles was content as he drifted away into the night. Denise opened her eyes. The world was bleary and grey. As things began coming into focus, she moved her head to work out where she was. The first thing she noticed was the light bulb, followed by some ugly, sick yellow curtains, and then some eyes that she had trouble recognising focused onto hers. It's me, darling. Keith. Keith? Your husband. It looked like it had been a very long time since he had slept. Slowly, Denise began to feel more like Denise. Slowly, the memory of Keith returned. Keith. She smiled, which was difficult. Her face wasn't used to the sensation. Where am I? Keith touched her hand. Colour flooded into the room. You're in hospital, love. Why? What happened? Am I hurt? No, not hurt, exactly. Memories rushed into Denise's head. The theatre? The audience? Larry crying over the radio? Charles? Was there a fire? Yes, darling. Did everyone get out all right? Two people died backstage. One of them was Larry. I'm sorry. Everyone else, all the audience, got out safe. What? I know. It's horrible. Larry? Yes. When's the funeral? Keith looked at her. He was full of emotion, but Denise didn't recognise or understand what it was. It's, uh... It's already taken place. Larry died two years ago. You've had some memory loss, Denise. 
When you left the theatre, you were in what the doctors called a catatonic state. You couldn't move or speak. Then you started coming to, and we had a conversation just like this. We've had this conversation before. Lots of times, actually. I've sat here nearly every day. Nearly every day you wake up and we have this conversation. You get to grips of your surroundings and then something sends you back into a catatonic state. What? That's not important. What's important is that you're awake. We don't want to lose you this time. Just try to focus on staying awake. But Denise felt like she knew what was about to happen. And she feared it more than anything else she could dream of. Far more than death. Keith continued talking to Denise, but the words stopped making sense. It became gibberish. Any colour in the room started dripping onto the floor, draining away until the world was black and white. Keith's voice was quieter now, and white noise invaded Denise's ears. Her eyes darted towards the door as she saw the handle being turned. A thin, bony finger crept around the frame, and Charles floated into the room. Blood trickled out of his eyes. Its deep crimson was the only colour in a black and white world. He looked gaunt and pale, like he always did, but his expression had changed. Charles wasn't hungry anymore. He moved closer and closer towards Denise's bed. She could still see that Keith's mouth was moving as though he was talking, but no words were coming out. He was silent now. Stay with me, Denise. Keith seemed completely oblivious to Charles. Denise, look at me. With a grin, Charles's hand stretched out towards Denise's face. His bony fingers, his ragged, dirty nails hovered above her eyelids. She looked up at the ghost. One last time, he smiled at her. A gluttonous, impish smile. Drops of blood dripped straight from his putrefied face into her eyeballs. The world became silent and black. She was trapped in darkness. She couldn't move. She couldn't see. She couldn't speak. All she had left were her thoughts. The little girl awoke with a start. The room was dark, but for the dim glow of a street lamp slipping in around her curtain. She buried her head under the covers, trying to block out the dreadful sound, but the scratching continued. Then she heard a voice. It whispered, Listen. She slowly crept out of her bed across the dark room and to her wardrobe. She opened its doors. Upon seeing what was inside, she stumbled back in shock. Her mouth was wide open, but no noise came out. Standing in front of her, illuminated by a thin shaft of streetlight, was the torso of an elderly man. His face was pale, gaunt and sombre, and below his chest, his body faded into translucence. His eyes wept 
thick, oozing blood. The little girl was certain that what she was looking at was in fact not a man at all, but a ghost. Hello, my name is Charles. What is it that you want? I'm hungry, hungry for death. What's your name, child? Denise. Tell me, Denise. Is that your father sleeping in the next room? Yes. Is it just you two alone in the house? Yes. What do you think of him? Do you like him? No. He hurts my mummy and my sister. Do you think he's evil? Yes. Do you need my help, Denise? I don't know. Would you like to see him burn? Uh, I, uh, um... Think about it now. Yes. Yes, I would. Let's start a fire, you and me. Let's burn away the evil. Does that sound fun? Yes. Thank you, Charles. You're welcome, Denise. Denise opened her eyes. The world was a bleary white and grey. As things began coming into focus, she moved her head to work out where she was. The first thing she noticed was the light bulb, followed by some ugly, sick yellow curtains. Then some eyes that she had trouble recognising locked onto hers. It's me, darling. Keith. The Psychic was narrated by Arthur McBain. Other voices were provided by Emma Ballantyne, Mark Strepan, Christopher Jameson, and Owen Jenkins. So, Owen, um, what's next week? Next week is Axnav. Axnav? What's that about? <laughs> well, you got your satnavs, you got your axes. Merge them together, you got Axnav. It's a killer satnav, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Great, that sounds fantastic um, Also, how can people get in touch with us If they want to send complaints <laughs> um, For any complaints You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook At, at Your Peril Just search At Your Peril We're probably there somewhere um, Please leave your comments and feedback And please do spread the word Even if you hate it, you know Spread the word of hate <laughs>